good evening wherever you are, and thank you for joining us on the Just Like the Movies podcast. This is our Christmas episode where we are going to be talking about the awaited, anticipated, and not necessarily meeting expectations sequel to the original Batman, Batman Returns. Now, uh, my man Johnny picked this film, and I, uh, well, let's ask Johnny how he's doing. Johnny, how you doing, man? You hanging in there? Hanging in there, man. Mm. It's always good to see you. It's always good to talk about Aww. these old movies mm. when uh, we didn't have bills and, you know, life was simpler and, and we didn't realize how good we had it when we were 10. <laughs> but That's true. here we are. And, and also, you know, Batman Returns, like, there's, you know, there are those movies and we joked about it on our Die Hard podcast about the guy who's at the party telling people that Die Hard's of a Christmas movie, even though everyone fucking knows it is. But Batman Returns is one people don't really talk about that that much. And I think you were the one who was sort of like, well, it is a Christmas movie. And I'm like, you know what it is? It's not even one of those like where you, is it kind of? It's like, no, it, it absolutely no, I mean, is a the, Christmas Yeah, they movie. have the tree lighting in basically Rockefeller Center. There's present like Christopher Walken's throwing out presents. The one yeah, they got the yeah. mistletoe, kiss under the mistletoe, mm-hmm. the you know, and and goodwill to all men and women and all that stuff, and uh, yeah, the whole deal. And the snows everywhere. It's it's just a very and it was marketed with that sort of like snowy, frosty look to it. It's just all it's all over uh, Christmas when it comes to Batman Returns, and it definitely has that feeling. So it was cool to to revisit it, and, and I'll agree with what you said. You know, it it isn't a sequel like The Dark Knight where people can make the the argument like, well, which one's better? Is it Begins or Dark Knight? This one clearly is not up to the original, but in comparison to the others that fell in this continuity, uh, Forever and uh, Batman and Robin, uh, clearly it's a good sequel. I I would consider Batman Returns a good sequel it's a decent sequel i mean i the, the the rewatch was a little rough for me i'm not gonna lie but i mean when you look at this compared to the <laughs> the first batman series it's like this would be the hindenburg if two bigger dirigibles with more people on it happened to burst into flames in the Ooh. same decade like <laughs> because batman forever i mean that movie has its charms too but it's like you know, it's 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 basically a toy commercial. And then Batman and Robin was just like full-blown camp. It was almost like it was a gay parody of a Batman movie. But it really, it wasn't. But, uh, like, you know, Uma Thurman, like one of the sexiest women of the 90s, like was acting like she was a, a, like a drag queen in that one. And this movie had it. I mean, this is probably the horniest Batman movie ever made. So it has that this distinction. Is, this is very horny. <laughs> It's extremely yeah. horny. I mean, you've got, you know, the Penguin is this very base, very crass character. And then, of course, you've got Michelle Pfeiffer, who is who was quite literally vacuum sealed into a vinyl outfit for this movie. So, I mean, it, like, you've got that S&M component. I mean, this is this has to be the horniest Batman movie ever, right? It Yeah, and man, I know Michelle Pfeiffer, like, I, I read up on some interviews that she did talking about this and also like at the time and in reflecting back on it she sort of said like you know at the age I was and I was starting to just come into like my sexual confidence as a person and could that not have come at a better time because (laughs) just even it's not even like people always say like oh the Catwoman suit she's so sexy in that she's just sexy in this movie because she just has this sort of like dangerous 
attitude about her. And of course her eyes pop out, like just stand out and her lips and her whole look and her hair is like a little disheveled in that sort of messy, sexy way. And just the way she exudes herself after the incident uh, where she becomes Catwoman. And, and I'll get into this later. I, I think like they don't say it, but she's basically a zombie in this. Right. Movie. Yeah. And a cat when she, when, from, from, from the moment where she's like nerdy, forgetful, quirky, weird, awkward Selena Kyle to the Selena Kyle post getting thrown out the window. Everything about her is this sort of like, I don't care what happens, uh, anarchistic, whatever, chaos-driven madness that just is sexy. I don't know underpinned by her. horniness. Don't forget yes. you. For, don't for you. We can never forget the horniness when we're debating anything. Well, not debating, but discussing also, anything why in this is, movie. Why is crazy still considered sexy? I don't know, but it is. I guess. Well, I mean, we've all. You know, I mean, it's that whole, that whole uh, stereotype, but that exists for a reason. The craziest girls, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I mean, every most men. I'm not gonna say all men because, but I mean, most men have had that experience where, you know, crazy yeah. equals dyna yeah. dynamite romps, <laughs> dynamite. <laughs> dynamite in the sack kind of stuff like you're, you're like talking to your mom about it and then your mom is like you need to shut up about this right now i'm your mother and you're like no but you need to hear this it's important this is important. this actually might be the only batman movie you can't watch with like your mom without feeling weird <laughs> we saw this as a uh i think this is another one we saw as a family so <laughs> and... when you were too young though like you know what i mean if you were like 17 watching it with your mom and you're just sitting there like and you forget that you're not, like near your mom watching the movie and you're just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and like we talked about, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much we're going to talk about the other Batman movies and um, how they compare to this one. But I mean, you have to look at the fact that the reason that Batman Forever way overcorrected and was a little more family friendly and a little more aesthetic and easier kind of easier for kids to deal with was because this movie kind of went in the opposite direction i can't remember who was involved with it but some I, or no maybe that was the dark knight but somebody that was involved with this movie was very surprised that it was not rated r because of all the violence and the dark themes i mean they they straight up ripped from the old testament man like kill all the firstborn kids which yeah which yeah. as we've discussed on multiple occasions <laughs> is one of the three themes for any song Right? You've got sex, drugs, and biblical allegory. That's all it ever is. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, is it, well is that... Uh, well, it, that's like Led Zeppelin, except replace the biblical stuff with, like, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know what's embarrassing? I just... This is kind of a little side note, but, like, you know, I live, I live near Cleveland, and we have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is supposedly, like, a national tourist attraction. And I had a cousin visiting <laughs> from Canada, and he'd never been there. Led Zeppelin is his favorite band. And we went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you know how many how many pieces of memorabilia they had from Led Zeppelin in the entire fucking building? Uh, but based on your tone, I'm going to go low and say three. They had one. They had one of John Paul Jones' bass guitars. That's it. Jim of all them? Jimmy Page probably has 400 guitars in his summer house. And they couldn't get one for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is Jeez. hilarious. But 
Well, this isn't some half-assed fucking you know rock podcast. We're here to talk about Batman Returns. So, what what are your what are your early memories of this one? Like I like I, I like I said, I remember seeing it with my family because Batman's always a safe bet when you've got three boys. Take them to see Batman. Um, yeah, I, vivid memories because <laughs> I I like worn out the tape on Batman '89. Whether it was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was one of those movies that my parents like taped for me when they would do like trials with HBO or, you know, something like that. Um, and I would watch that all the time. That and Top Gun, when I was like seven and eight, like that, those two movies, I, I wore out the tape on those two. Um, so going into this as, you know, like a 10 year old, almost 10 year old, uh, I was really excited for it. And then I think because of how this movie was made and, in comparison to Batman, it is more kid friendly in a weird way. It it's, it it's, it has more violence, it has more sexual undertones, but it has more campiness than Batman '89, and the stakes don't feel as high for some reason. Um, but I remember the marketing, the McDonald's thing was huge. Those big giant cups with the soup, uh, with the uh, value meals, but also the toys. They had the little Batmobile that would like. Uh, come apart or something yeah. like that and the, the middle part would come out and, mm-hmm. like he does in the movie which ups- I'll never forget that really upset me in the movie the Batmobile getting sort of like taken apart because I love that Batmobile so much so then when he like turns it into a missile I'm like that's it that's the end of the Batmobile I remember being so upset when I first saw that as a kid plus it's it's just it's like one of those things like in a Bond movie where in the later Bond movies it's like he would or in the Batman TV show like he would get the specific gadget to get him out of whatever jackpot he was going to get in in that episode or in that movie. And in this, and like, I thought it was stupid for that reason because it's like, oh, he just happened to have to make the car super narrow so he could fit through the, so he could get away from the police in this right. overly... Like, and you mentioned that the movie the, feels like the stakes aren't very high. And again, I think part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, this movie, it took them a long time to figure, they knew they were going to do a sequel to Batman, because it was the biggest movie that year, right? It was the biggest, that was the biggest, that was the movie of, of the 1989 box office, if memory yep. serves me correctly, right? So you're going to do a sequel to that. But then you've got Tim Burton and Michael Keaton, who are kind of these brooding, kind of artiste types of actors and directors, not respectively. And and they didn't they were kind of a po- they weren't they they did the whole thing well we're not sure if we want to do a sequel we don't want to do a direct sequel so the movie went through a lot of iterations before they finally kind of came up with a basic concept that would keep Tim Burton and Michael Keaton happy mm-hmm. enough for them to come back to do another movie so they could make some more money yeah burton doesn't like sequels he he's open open about that yeah and and this movie they kind of there was supposed to be a lot more direct references to what happened in the first movie. Like there was going to be like scenes where people are selling pieces of the bat wing that crashed and Vicki Vale was going to be back and she was going to be part of the story. I also read somewhere. It was really weird that they were considering her for Catwoman. Can you imagine how like, and I know that, that Hollywood, you know, often underestimates its audiences, but can you imagine how confusing that would actually be if you brought back Kim Basinger and for whatever reason, you made either Vicky Vale Catwoman or you made her a completely different character that was Catwoman. That would be insane. I, it would have really serialized this and made it less of like 
a continuity sequel, it would have felt like <coughs> like a modern example of that is like um, I don't watch it, but you know, like American Horror. Yeah, stories, like any like anth- it would be, they would make it more of like an anthology. Then. Like like Twilight Zone or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring back these same people we like, but it's a completely different character now. Or we're keeping our Batman. He's the he's the steady one here, but he's not seeing that this is the same person. This is a different character entirely, but it's the same actor. So the audience just has to deal with it, sort of thing. Yeah, weird. It was weird when I read that too. Yeah, strange. Yeah, and and you know who the I I don't know uh you know, how much background. I mean, you do you do a fair amount of background. You just don't like use it as much of a crutch as I do, but. I mean, oh, stop did it, you no. see how um, who the first choice was to be Catwoman? I know. Well, if you're talking about who was cast, it was Annette Bening. Yes, right? yes, yeah. And then she got she was knocked cast, up. and then and then, then Warren Beatty's potency <laughs> opened the door for Michelle Pfeiffer to make us all realize how horny we were at age <laughs> nine or ten. So thank you, Warren Beatty, Dick Tracy, for having super tight, super potent sperm yeah and like nothing against that betting or whatever but when i think about her in the 90s i think about her in that movie that aaron sorkin wrote called the american president did you see that one where michael douglas plays the president but he's a widower and he starts dating this this like ball busting reporter that's played by annette benning go on and it's like i'm just trying to imagine if she was catwoman instead of like the the just 108 pounds of pure nonsense that is that was peak Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, was that a Vicky Vale reference? What? No. You said her exact weight from Batman. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe subconsciously. Dude, that is... Own that. You Epic. Weigh a little more than 108. <laughs> the fact that I know that. <laughs> well, you said anyway. you didn't wear out the tape, and you're, you're establishing your bona fides right here. So, uh, so I, I see what you're saying there, there's, there's, it's hard to correlate, but it almost goes back to what you were saying last podcast about like the feelings about Heath Ledger, uh, going into play yeah, Joker, you know, I don't know. Maybe Annette Bening would have been a dynamite Catwoman. I think she would have. And you know why? Cause, uh, her role in Bugsy. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Um, retrospectively, but, uh, another movie with American in, in the title, American Beauty. Where she gets plowed <laughs> out, yeah, but she by like... Peter Gallagher, <laughs> <laughs> legs full in the air, yeah, uh, and and she was sexy in that movie. Um, so I I think she and she's a good act actress. So I I think she would have been fine. I uh, I like what we ended up with, of course, and uh, then of course there was the again, the. The unfortunate fate of uh, Sean Young never getting herself into Batman because you know first it was she was supposed to be Vicky Vale and then she was uh, going to be sort of like um, consolation. Uh, I wouldn't call it a consolation, but then she was up for Catwoman that didn't work out. So um, Einhorn uh, did not make it into Batman, but um, or as Rachel, if some people want to call her that from Blade Runner. But um, I I think we ended up with the right person oh for sure uh, i mean it, for all for the problems this movie has i mean you can't i mean this was a common sentiment at the time but like michelle pfeiffer is you know one of the bright spots of the movie now keaton is still good but i mean you did something really interesting on you know since we're doing back-to-back batman movies you did something really interesting in the dark knight podcast where you talked about you actually laid out how much batman was actually on screen in each respective movie. And for whatever reason in this one, it felt like 
this star I think this movie kind of started that whole trend in comic book movies where they started to stack villains on top of each other. And then that kind of puts Batman in the background, which is it kind of exactly what happened in uh, The Dark Knight Rises. It was kind of the same thing that happened there, even, but that's, it was a little bit of a different situation because of the long layoff, like, off-screen between the two movies. But in this one, I mean, it, it seemed like there could have been a lot more Michael Keaton, a lot more Batman, but they had to, they had to develop the Catwoman story, they had to develop the, Cat, the Penguin story, and then they had to develop the Max Shrek story, who was like the tertiary villain. So you're just... And unfortunately, that just seems like a like a trend that has persisted throughout the Batman franchise and other comic movies as well. Where like in sequels, you just they add more and more villains, and but then they they it's not a comic book, so you can't keep them around. It was kind of like how in uh, but like in one example, Captain America: Civil War, like they had Crossbones in that, and if you read the comics for that, Crossbones is a much more he's like the main villain in that, and then they kill yeah. him off in the first ten <laughs> minutes of the movie. Because they have to introduce yeah. all the other villains and all the other plots. And this movie was not plot-driven. It was... Like, no. If, if you're watching it, it's more of a spectacle than anything. It's like the the actual... The, the plot seems like kind of an afterthought, which if you read, it actually was. Like, they, they couldn't figure out what to do. At first, it was going to be Penguin and the Riddler. And then they decided to go with Penguin and Catwoman. And they were going to be looking for buried treasure or something and then they thought that was stupid and then like so that they went through like i'm not going to go through every single permutation they went through but they went through like half a dozen i don't know maybe 10 different ideas and then they they brought in uh daniel waters who wrote heathers um yeah yep and and you 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 definitely get that those feelings from some of the uh, things because I actually watched Heather's not that long ago, not because of this or anything, but uh, I saw it on either Amazon or or some server or whatever, and I was like, Heather's, I haven't seen that movie since I was like thirteen. Yeah, and I watched I watched it, and uh, Winona Ryder, man, she can still get it too. <laughs> Very good, but um, this is gonna, I, I, this might be a horny podcast. Yeah. I don't know what's going. Yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, but, this, this movie you have almost no choice but to sink to its level, and we're just gonna do a really horny podcast, especially when you read stuff like about. How they like they vacuum like I said they vacuum sealed Michelle Pfeiffer into these vinyl suits and they it, no yeah they, I'm like wait a minute now should Winona Ryder have been Catwoman oh, now let me that would I I could I wouldn't have been able to handle that I don't think you would have had a rough time twenty two year old Winona Ryder um, like, and, like you're reading about how they had to put baby powder on her skin and then it's like the confused boner subreddit checks in is like is that good yeah and there's there's whatever whatever crew guy that was or maybe crew girls just like it's better for me to think of it as a crew guy because then like you know whatever he wound up doing with his career after that he's like you know I'm the guy who got to put the baby powder on Michelle Pfeiffer for Batman Returns right. <laughs> Like he's having an argument with his friends about like who's cooler, yeah. and he pulls that card out once in a while when he really needs it. And then all his friends just fucking abandon him because that's what I would do if I heard that story more than twice. I'd be like, I am done with this guy. He but, he's like he's like, you know, we could go to that bar or we can go to the one I picked because I don't know if you remember. And they're like, dude, if you say the fucking Pfeiffer story <laughs> one more time, <laughs> dick. <laughs> But yeah, and this dude also wrote your favorite movie of all time, Demolition Man. So there you go. It's not my favorite movie of all time for sure, but uh, all right. I mean, all right. I, I definitely like that movie a lot more than you do, for sure. <laughs> um, well, and, and then I guess like uh, some of his uh, contributions of the script were they brought in this other guy named Wesley Strick to kind of 
introduced like a master plot, and he was the guy who came up with the penguin going after the firstborn children of Gotham and the like the mayor campaign and all that stuff. So And Sam Sam Ham, who wrote Batman eighty nine, uh wrote the story for this, or at least, you know, the outline. Um and that always changes a bit. So we're not really sure, but he did get the story writing credit for Batman Returns. Mm, yeah, and it's like and a lot of that confusion, I mean, we've talked about other movies where they've gone through stuff, like Gladiator, for example, where they were, like, writing that movie on the fly, and yeah. somehow it seemed, I don't know if it was just because the movie was so convincing in the performances and the and the set, and the set dressing and, like, putting it in that time, but that movie seemed a lot more cohesive than this. Like, this movie seems very confused, very muddled. Like, the the tonal shifts are weird. Um, I'm not crazy about... I, I kind of like... On one hand, I admire them taking a shot with the Penguin, because I understand the bind they were in. Um, that the Penguin is kind of a generic villain from the comics and from the old TV show. Uh-huh. He's just kind of like a dapper criminal that kind of makes this them. Like, it has a cigarette holder and, like, wears a top hat. Yeah, Burgess Meredith. Fucking legend. Yeah, there was, a, there was a rumor they wanted him involved in this movie, but he was sick or something, or he was injured, so he couldn't be part uh, of it. Yeah, I read that they wanted him to be Cobblepot's dad. Oh, okay. Instead, we got Pee Wee Herman for that part. Which is funny, because... A real aside, real quick, I'm going to let you get back to that point about the Penguin, because <laughs> I, have, I, I have something that I... I had, like, one of those glass-shattering moments during this rewatch. Um... But yeah, so you got Paul Rubens, and then um, uh, what's her name? I, phew, uh, uh, what God. which act, uh, the actress's name was uh oh God it was like Diane something Diane Salinger I mean I don't know the name Salinger Salinger, Salinger was, yeah yeah so Diane Salinger who plays uh, Simone in Pee Wee's Big Adventure his love interest oh so, so okay I don't know if that's just like. Tim Burton's like, I know that actress because we know Helen, Helen Bonham Carter like was in every one of his movies. Obviously, they were married, so it's different. But I, Or he's like, let me do this little nod to my first movie here. Let me get Pee Wee and her as the parents for um, Oswald Cobblepot here. And I definitely, like, I was a huge Pee Wee fan as a kid, and I definitely didn't know it was him until, like, later on. Um, so that, that was interesting. And it was also, I believe, around or post his sort of whacking off in the theater controversy. <laughs> So there's that, but um, I, I just think that's cool seeing um, two people from Tim Burton's first movie, um, obviously the main one being Paul Rubens being Penguin's father, uh, who, dump, like you said, dumps them over the edge there. And I agree with your point about they, they, they took a big shot here, and I don't think movie studios, more than the creators, movie studios don't like those risks, especially with big IPs. So the fact that they were, I don't think they'd be able to do that today, take that type of a risk that they did back in 92. But it made me think of this point, Mike, and I want to hear what you think about this. The Joker in Batman 89, yeah, he got chemically warped and it probably added to his psychosis. Um, But the rest of that movie was pretty grounded as a crime story. Like he didn't develop these fantastical powers or traits. Whereas in this movie, they're like, no, that dude is literally half penguin, <laughs> half man, and that woman is now a zombie, and she has nine lives, uh, and they're just like all those like they they really took it to a fantastical level, 
um, with with two characters known in the Batman universe as grounded. We're not talking about you know uh, Killer Croc here or King Croc or whatever. Or Solomon or Grundy. Clayman. Or, yeah, Clayface. Uh, Ra's al Ghul. You know, all these people who do these wild, crazy things at Batman. He, Tim Burton's like, no, we're going to take this crime lord, make him an actual penguin, and we're going to take this thief and give her the attributes of a cat because these cats licked her to life when she fell out of a out of a building. And and I correct me if I'm wrong. To me, she was a zombie. She died in that moment and she came back to life. Yeah, I mean, I I never really thought about it like that, but I don't think there's there's really any arguing with your logic. Like, she was she she fell out of like a high, like a like a ten story window or however high up it was. Yeah. So yeah, you definitely have that. You always have that with like the Tim Burton movies, though. You have that macabre kind of. If it's not macabre, like if it's like if it's Alice in Wonderland, it's like fantastical, but there's still kind of like a grotesque <clears throat> element to it. Like it's just it's yeah. just his gimmick. Like he can't help himself. I mean, it served him very well, so it's not like you can really judge it. But at the same time, you know, you've got this movie that you're marketing to kids, and then you make the you make the penguin so hard to look at and like deal with. And it's, it's he's like better we got that than like a super sexy Johnny Depp penguin. <laughs> oh man! I, well, this this was like pre him putting Johnny Depp and everything, but. Yeah, I hope he puts up hit puts him in something again though. Now that I said that, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know like what because I know I I didn't watch it because I I watched three episodes of it and I thought it was fucking terrible. But like that Gotham show, like the like that imagining of the Penguin, and then they had Paul Rubens play his father in that as well, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think you and I both like checked that thing out for an episode or two. I think we talked about it on. One of our, I'm batting the Batman Begins pod, maybe or something. Oh yeah, once the dude was like killing people by attaching weather balloons to him and letting him drift off into the ether, I was all fucking set on Gotham. Yeah, like yeah, I'm like I've seen all I need to see here. Yeah, yeah. I had enough of Fish Mooney. (laughs) Fish Mooney. (laughs) Keep my wife's name out your mouth. (laughs) Do you think he's ever gonna work again? He already did. He's got like he got a movie just just coming out now. That's, Will Smith. That's funny, dude. That's just like and people are like, oh, it's awesome. So yeah, what are they trying to be edgy? Like I don't know. I would you're, if you're you're bit like there's some stars that they're just big enough where people just let them get away with shit. I just I I don't like I'm trying to remember the last time if ever I would describe a Will Smith movie as awesome. Like they're good for the most part, unless it's well, After Earth. That movie sucks, but. Yeah, um, I mean it's not Cloud know. Atlas bad, but I mean it's fucking not great. Yeah, forget about Will Smith. <laughs> let's talk about this. Will epic Smith Batman is the Penguin. Movie. How about that? Let Let's talk about how this movie <coughs> has like it's so weird. There, this was a little bit of a weird rewatch for me too because there were some things I noticed. I'm like, Batman Returns is cheesier than I remember it being, and. You know, that that one scene that made me like, what is happening right now? And it's in 92 supposed to seem like high tech, but it's not at all. And it's when Bruce is um, cutting out uh, the Penguin's mic and playing the clip through the speakers. uh, I play the city like a harp from hell. Mm. And he's He's spinning a CD like it's a vinyl record, as though that that's gonna help change. Yeah, with with the with the, the bat logo on with it. With the bat logo on it, that's yeah. Like how, 
Like, if you don't want people to know you're, you're Batman, stop branding all of your things with the Batman logo on it. Like, what is going on? He has, and, and it, none of that made sense. I was like, that's kind of weird. I you mean, know, is it but... as bad as pull, as Batman having a credit card? No. But, I mean, it's still oh, pretty, it's yeah. still, yeah, it's like, where did he get that made? Wouldn't somebody ask questions? I don't know. Yeah. Like, that's the thing about the Batman mythos, is you really have to suspend disbelief that nobody figures out that there, it, it's like, wow, Batman has all these crazy resources. This guy has to have a ton of money. Who is he? Why is Bruce yeah. Wayne always missing when Batman's doing stuff? Like it's just like I was watching. Yeah. Um, I was watching the Long Halloween, the animated uh, movie that's on. Uh, it's on HBO Max, I think. And they did this weird. I think this is from the comic, but they did this weird subplot where Bruce Wayne was missing for like three months, and Poison Ivy had him had him like under his control. And he was signing over all these assets and shit, and then like. Don't you think that when he reemerged, people would be like, "Hey, we had, we didn't see Batman all that time." Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, but whenever you're doing a Batman movie, these little di- di- like digressions are always going to pop up because there's just so much source material, and so much of it kind of conflicts with each other, and there's just all kinds of weirdness. But let's try to get this back on track here because you know you got Michael Keaton doing his. I still, I, I still agree with you. I still think he was a pretty under underrated Batman. But I think in this movie, they really kind of put him in the background of his own movie to a certain extent. I would say yes. Um, I think... Yeah, I feel like we didn't get a ton of like Bruce Wayne in this one. We got... At least it feels that way, that we got a lot more in the first movie, especially with the dealing of his parents. And it was a much more serious Bruce Wayne. I feel like... Like, the Bruce Wayne in this movie felt like how Han Solo is in Return of the Jedi, where it's like, he already, like, served his major arc, and then he was just there to just be there. I feel like Bruce Wayne was, like, almost comic relief a lot in this movie. Now, there were serious scenes when they're at the, um, you know, the the ball, the masked ball, and, and, and they're realizing who each other are and stuff like that. And he still has his chops. I'm not saying he, like, phoned this in by any... A stretch of the imagination but it just feels like his bruce wayne really wasn't um and maybe wasn't needed wasn't that uh important in this movie as it was in the first one which again of course because it has to do with revenge for the man who killed your parents so i get that so then you have his batman and i think keaton is a great batman but i also think because of the nature of this movie and how they decided to make the villains these fantastical things and we really have to start suspending disbelief with a lot of the things they do. Um, Batman came across a little little cheesier because of that because he had to fit in that space. Yeah, and Whereas in the first movie, it just felt like, here's a city, pretty regular city, and there just happens to be this nut job dude running around starting to kill people and this guy who wears a bat mask Who's, who's trying to be a vigilante. Yeah, and, and Michael Keaton, his ambivalence towards the Batman films, especially late, like more recently, doesn't really retrospectively do this movie any favors. Because he, he, I mean, he's, I think he was on some, I think it was Mark Maron's podcast, and he said something like that he only did this movie because he needed the money for a real estate deal. Like, he didn't even really want to do it. And Is that right? Yeah, I think, yeah, and it's... You know, and then it, he, his, and then like, but then 
He said he didn't really want to come back for a third movie, but then I guess when Val Kilmer got cast, like, he wouldn't work with him after that. And I don't know if that had... Like, somebody tried to... The, the thing I read tried to make it seem like that that was a direct result, that, oh, he, he never would work... Maybe they were never going to work together anyway. But if that's true, is it like, did he actually like the part? Or was it just like that competitive thing where, oh, I, this guy took my place, like, I can't deal with him now? <clears throat> I, I think he liked being Batman. I don't think it was one of those things where he felt like he was above it. Um, I do remember his famous line about, you know, when people ask him, why didn't you do the third one? And he said, script sucked. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I think my guess is he signed a contract for two movies out of the gate. Cause I think they try to do that to, to, if it's a big actor to like, in other words, avoid having to overpay them if the first one's a monster hit. So they probably locked him into a two picture deal would be my guess. Mm. And then after the second one, he's like, I'm out. Yeah, because I, I don't, if they came at me with, like, if you think about this movie too, like, what it could have been, like, it, I'm kind of knocking on it a little bit, because I think, honestly, I think about all the movies we've done, this is probably, like, my least favorite one to revisit so far. And uh, Out of the Batman movies? That maybe in general. Really? Yeah. I, it, it was rough, but, like, I, I was just saying that because it, I mean, it definitely had its charms and everything, but like I, it, I could kind of see why like, the franchise went downhill so fast. But then you think about all the things that didn't happen, and it could have been so much worse. Like if they had Marlon Wayans as Robin, which I guess Tim Burton really wanted to happen, and they like like Marlon Wayans actually got paid to be, he got paid to be in like two or three movies because they had to buy out his contract. It was the same thing with Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent when they just, when they finally decided they I think they had to pay him too or like for whatever reason. But uh, I mean, can you imagine like they the, the idea was Robin was going to be like the street like because you know how it's it's like that Simpsons episode where they do Poochie to shake up Itchy and Scratchy, which is like one of the all time great episodes. Not only Simpsons episodes, but just commentary about Hollywood corporate culture in general. And especially back in the 90s, it seemed like they were always trying to, like, street things up or make them more hip, more urban, which means you got to have a black character. So let's have Robin be a Wayans brother, and he was going to be, like, a mechanic who was going to be more tech-savvy than Batman. So, you know, people nowadays who complain about... um, And I'm not saying that these are with or without merit. I'm just saying that there are numerous complaints about newer characters who replace legacy characters... And they don't have a hero's journey. They don't struggle. They don't. Can you imagine if they just introduce some guy like off the street and he like knows tech stuff better than Batman does? And they did that mm. thirty years ago. <clears throat> and who was gonna do it? Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans. Yeah, my my fourth favorite Wayans brother. How would like he wasn't even featured on In Living Color then? Like that's that'd be such a stretch pick, like I don't know. That's crazy. I mean, they cast but, him. He got paid millions of dollars to never be in a Batman movie, which I guess is great work if you can get it. I I don't until they do it right. I don't believe that you can do a good Batman movie with Robin, unless they do one that feels and has the aesthetic and storytelling of like old school detective Batman, like or animated series style Batman where 
it is a bit fantastical across the board, not just like punching in what you want to be fantastical and what you want to be grounded. I think it has to be in this sort of like Arkham City, like that whole thing feels like a comic book. I think you need to do that fully. I think they tried that with Batman Forever, but it was just a bad movie. And I like, I don't think I'll, I'll, I'd be willing to say I would probably never watch that movie again. I'll probably never see that movie again. Yeah. If I had to guess. What about Batman um, and Robin? Would you watch that one again, though? Of course not. No. Yeah. I think I've watched that movie like twice in my life. Okay. Yeah. So somebody is holding a gun to your head and they're like, you have to watch Batman Forever or Batman and Robin or you're going to get your head blown off. Wh- which would you pick? I don't even think this is that hard. I, th- I think you got to go Batman Forever. What kind of gun is it? <laughs> No, yeah, you got, you got it. You you got to go Batman Forever. Um, it's our it's our it's our boy Kilmer. You know? Oh my! I don't know why that like, like of all the details. To... All right, this is this caught me. Right. By the way, I'm gonna apologize, to everybody. I was gonna do it at the end of the podcast, but I still haven't t- like like half the country right now. I'm I'm sick and I haven't really shaken it yet. So I'm sorry for all the I'm trying to cough off Mike as much as possible, but um, I'm just I'm just trying to power through it. So I I apologize for that. Oh, and and we're glad to, that you were able to power through oh. it. But um, listen, it's Batman Returns is clearly head and shoulders above uh, Forever and Batman and Robin. Um, Batman and Robin is. I would say as cheesy as the unintentionally cheesy Batman TV show, the Adam West show. Like it brought it all the way back to that where there was like uh, slide whistle sound effects when the guys <laughs> were, were having their feet taken out from under them as they were skating with these hockey sticks trying to attack nipple suited George Clooney. I remember just like, yeah, dude, I saw Batman and Robin with my older brother and I remember like, watching that movie with him in a theater and like these different like when the guys are playing hockey with the giant diamond and it it was just stuff like that it was like it was like i can't believe i'm seeing this shit and then five minutes later they would do something that was even stupider than that it was crazy and yeah in a way like if you don't like those movies like batman forever is a great soundtrack though but if you don't like those movies this movie is directly responsible for that course correction in the Batman franchise, which ultimately led to it being mothballed. And then we got, you know, the Nolan movies. Which is crazy when you think about it now, (laughs) because I remember when Batman Begins came out. And again, I said this in the last podcast, but I'll say it again. I remember seeing the trailer for Batman Begins in the theater for maybe the prestige or, or not prestige because that came out after something in 04. And I remember being like, holy cow, they make another Batman movie. This is incredible. And then it felt like it had been forever since we had a Batman movie. And it was only eight years. Yeah. But it's just, and it's just crazy that, that, that perspective. Cause now I think like eight years really isn't that long of a period of time, but it really felt like, man, we haven't really had a Batman movie in forever, dude. And I guess when you're younger, time feels longer. And I, you know, I guess I understand that aspect of it, but it's uh I guess we can thank that like just complete decline of 
this continuity, this four film continuity of Batman, because then it did give us, you know, like you said, the course correction, which they gave it to Christopher Nolan, who made the exact opposite type of Batman uh, story. So, but in terms of this one, it certainly feels like a step was taken that gets us to a Batman forever. So I partly blame this a little bit, but I don't because I still think it's it was Tim Burton doing what he wanted to do with this. Um, and he did take a lot of... Like, it feels normal now when we look back on it because it's 30 years old. But those are risks to take when you make a zombie Catwoman and a, a, a quite literal um, multi-species half-man, half-penguin uh, villain. Um, so... I give him credit for that. You know, he he could have tried to play it more straight and, and did a similar thing that he did with Batman 89, but he didn't. Um, and I wonder, though, I would love to know the, the Prince conversation mm. because that was, you know, he, one of the biggest stars <laughs> ever. And, you know, his his he's all over Batman 89, as we know. Like, I wonder if he was, like, approached for this and he was just like, fuck no, baby. <laughs> Or, or if like he wanted to do it or he couldn't do it, you know, like because there's a clear difference there too in the, like how this movie sounds and, and feels because there's no like real popular music in this movie. It's just the score. Yeah, which I guess pleased Danny Elfman because I guess his big thing was that he didn't like that he basically had to share responsibilities with a bunch of Prince songs. That that did add kind of an like a weird kind of commercial element to the movie where it's like you've got prince's music embedded i don't think it was bad but you're right i I didn't even think about that like i don't like do you think that if they would have had that in this movie like it would have created maybe that maybe that's part of the clean break from the original like if you have the prince songs it immediately makes people think about all that like the museum scene from batman or the or the parade scene like any of that stuff. So I think I think I kind of answered that question, not factually, but I, but if anything, I mean, if they're going to do this thing where we're not doing a direct sequel, why would you musically tie it to the, to the the original? Yeah, because then they brought that sort of vibe back for the third one with that monster soundtrack that you just alluded to. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's one thing where this movie's better than the original with. And I like Prince music and stuff, but uh, I you're right. It does feel odd that it was just like all these like random modern pop culture pop hits from Prince, and all the same guy I, is littered throughout this movie. There's just in cer- the first one. So. There's certain movies that when they try that stuff, it doesn't work. Like I remember they did like some pe- probably probably a lot of people would agree with me, but Heath Ledger was in a movie called A Knight's Tale, and it took place yeah. in like the. 1300s or the 1400s but then they had all these like they had like david bowie songs in it and like all the all these other pop we will rock you yeah oh was that in it too i think so yeah and it was like and it had that shannon sauceman chick in it that they really tried to make happen for like five years and then she just went away for like Um, 40 days 30 days 30 nights yeah 40 days 40 nights but that like but when they do some there's certain movies that when they're working in genres and then they introduce like contemporary kind it's like when they introduce well-known pop songs from real life it kind of takes you out of it it's not like duran duran wrote a song specifically for that movie and then they found a way to work it in Right. Or whatever. It was like it's like no, you're hearing Rio in this movie, 
like it doesn't exist in real life. And like people are for some reason, they're like getting high on poppers and a juice bar and fucking dancing to Rio <laughs> or something. <laughs> Trying to they do like a, another movie about the Kennedy assassination and like Lee Harvey Oswald's listening to like Rammstein. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck is, is this? Is this, is this accurate? <laughs> oh <laughs> man. Do host. Yeah, we had an interest. That's an interesting conversation because I, 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 that's always been a pet peeve of mine, and I don't think I've ever. Really I'm, talked I'm, about I agree. It. it takes you right out of it. Yeah, like when you when you do a move, a so- when you put a song that's like a mega hit in a movie, and you try to put it in like like the, it, it's not. It's like oh, no one knows this. This is the this is just some really obscure song I heard. It's like it's this band called Queen. I don't know. Have you heard of them? <laughs> I don't know. But hey, well, we're we're a little off the rails, but that's okay, because this movie's fucking off the rails, and it yeah. is. But I'll tell you yeah. another thing I did enjoy about the movie, and one of the one of the few things that actually made me laugh still after all this time was some, like the way Christopher Walken, his approach to the Max Shrek role, like some of the lines that he had, and like it was just funny how they introduced this this guy who's basically kind of like a like a dark side version of of Bruce Wayne. Like he's just a, he's like a rich guy, but he made like, and they're not even really clear about how he made his money. He's like, he has department stores, but mm-hmm. maybe that's how he made his money. I don't really know. But that he's got these designs for greater power that it, it kind of gets a little zany. He's trying to make this, you know, this freak, the, the mayor of Gotham. So he could like get favors from him, which kind of seems like, it's a weirdly logical plot for a character like that, but you know the fir- um, the first choice to play that was uh, David Bowie, which I thought was kind of interesting to, to play Shrek. Yeah, that's an, yeah, that is kind of interesting. I mean, I like Christopher Walken in this. Um, I thought he, I thought he was good, and I like his like zany hair and stuff like that. But <laughs> and and it's clear like <coughs> that it, it's it's favors sure, but it's also like to like it's like it's like a hush thing like because the penguin like knew of like all of his you know dirty deeds and stuff like that it almost feels like a christmas carol sort of thing where you know uh, jacob marley and comes and haunts him and again tells him about all the bad things he did and here's the penguin uh below the surface of the earth like in the sewers um where max shrek really is um, in terms of as a person and he's like shows him like his partner's hand that he cut off and you know it's you know and i think it's just one of those things where he's like this guy's gonna ruin my life i gotta try to figure out how to keep him happy and shut him up mm. so he does this whole like mare thing and it blows up blows up in his face of course but i also love how stupid max shrek is at the end he's like <laughs> bruce wayne <laughs> come you dressed up like batman <laughs> And then his dad, his son, the freaking like you know Donald Trump Jr. Fucking, like nepotism. fucking Latimer from like, the program. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, dad. He's like, hey dad. Did they try to have him sound like Christopher Walken or something like that? I, it sounded like, like he had a fucking brain injury. Like I, I know that's mean, but it sounded like he got like bashed in the head with a monkey wrench, and that's how you talk from now on. <laughs> and then you picture him in skull makeup, like. Getting all fired up, <laughs> putting on putting on thirty pounds of pure rip in one summer. Man, I haven't seen that movie since high school, maybe. Yeah, I remember they cut out the scene where they were like laying in the road, 
But remember I remember it being the most uh, controversial, popular scene, though. Yeah, I never, I never even saw it. I just remember hearing about it that they cut that fucking scene out. But yeah, Latimer from the program is trip Chip Shrek, and he talks with a very distinctive cadence, to say the least. You know, yeah, I'm not going to try yeah. to do a Christopher Walken impression because you know we don't need Barack Obama checking into this podcast. But like, I did, <laughs> I did think it was funny, like when when he says the thing about like if she tries to blackmail me. I'll drop her out a higher window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. Like, I was like, man, he's just like, he's so casually evil. Like, right. And I guess yeah. he was wearing cufflinks that were made out of molars, like human molars in, in a couple scenes. What? Yeah. And he said that he, he saw it in a movie and he thought it would be, it would be a good trait for a villain to have. And it turns out it was from the great Gatsby movie. Oh wow! That was made in the seventies. Well, there was a character at one of the parties who was supposed to be loosely based on uh, Arnold Rothstein, the guy who fixed the uh, the World Series in nineteen nineteen, I think. And uh, that character was wearing cufflinks made out of human molars. And somehow Tim Burton got him for him because, of course, he's gonna like. If I was gonna think of any major Hollywood director, be like, I wonder which guy could get me cufflinks made out of human teeth. Tim Burton would be damn near the top of the list. <laughs> probably maybe yeah. the top i don't i don't know what other directors do you think would like it's like oh yeah that guy would definitely know where to score some teeth that i could secure uh, my french cuffs with yeah good question i don't know people would think like people's brains would go to like rob zombie but he's actually pretty boring and normal when he lives in like sherman and, his, and his, I, I don't like his movies at all i think he's such a bad filmmaker I don't either. Yeah. And his music is, you know, hit or miss with me too. Um, I like a lot of uh, some of the white zombie stuff back in the day. But anyway, um, the I, that's, do they, they don't really explain at all why the penguins half penguin. Uh, no, it's just, he's a, it's just he's a freak. And it's like, because there are conditions where people. So his mom didn't fuck a penguin. Yeah. <laughs> you would hope not. How does that even work? <laughs> and he puts his little penguin dick. Do pe- penguins have dicks? Like they I, have dicks. I, I, because uh, birds ha- never. I didn't want to get it. Oh, All right, God. I'm gonna Google it now. Do penguins have dicks? Because <coughs> there's eggs. Because the the women lay eggs, right? The the female penguins right. lay eggs. I, dude, I'm so bad at the living sciences. I sound like such a fucking idiot right now. But I just <laughs> like I was just like, where do you? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, apparently penguins don't have penises. Oh, thank God. Now I just, now I don't sound so stupid, but. So, um, it would have been funny if Batman called, uh, Cobblepot like dickless in <laughs> the movie or something. <laughs> well, yeah. This I mean, man has no dick. The, well, the way his costume looks, it <laughs> looks like he hasn't, he probably never saw his dick. Ever. Right. Yeah. Well, we, yep. we haven't really talked about the DeVito performance as penguin, um, I, and I love Danny DeVito. Like, to this day, I, I always just thought that guy was so good in, in everything. Um, so, uh, I I don't know that I like the Penguin and how, like, they chose to make the character like a half Penguin or whatever. But I thought he did a good job. And he even, like, did a pretty nice tribute to that sort of side mouth, like, Burgess Meredith sound. Um, from the '60s show, um, and I thought he was entertaining. Like you know, that was fine. I don't know what you think. I thought he was a bad. I thought he was chewing scenery. Like, like just every line, he was just like going so big with it. 
and you thought he was in it too much. Yeah, because I I'll, I would agree with that. Yeah, I I think like I don't know if that's Tim Burton's fault or if it's Danny DeVito's fault, and Tim Burton was just letting him do his thing. I don't really know, but like I just thought like that character could have been a little more subdued with just the way like the the maniacal laughter and the like not like Michelle Pfeiffer's maniacal laughter which I'm pretty sure could cure mo- I should just listen to that for a while and maybe I'll feel better um mm-hmm. the healing powers of Michelle Pfeiffer's laugh the healing powers of anything Michelle Pfeiffer good mm-hmm. lord <sighs> so so are you saying this movie's a better movie if they kept it, quote unquote, more grounded, like '89, where maybe it is Danny DeVito, but maybe he's just playing like a crime guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I I just think this movie was like, just rewatching it was pretty rough. That's all I'm gonna say. Like I, it like it, it what I I did say during the Dark Knight podcast that I was looking forward to comparing the two movies, and unfortunately, the comparison was not favorable at all. <laughs> It was, you know, it needed more Batman. It needed less goofy, like that, like that red triangle gang was so fucking goofy. And it was like, it was like, it was like a spectacle, but it wasn't like, it just kind of, it just kind of, you know, you have to suspend disbelief, but like everybody has a limit, right? Well, yeah, it, it, it's, this movie's so weird because it's goofier and cornier than 89, but also is a bit more effed up because like Batman kills people in this movie. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm like, I, I'm not a hundred percent on board with that either. And that was, that was a conflict with the writers too, coming up like Sam Hamm, the original writer didn't want Batman to kill anybody. Daniel Waters didn't either, unless it, unless he couldn't avoid it or whatever. And then I guess yeah. one of the other writers that came in, like, you know, they did the scene where he basically just straps an old timey bomb to a guy and yeah, like, it was it was a Bugs Bunny bit. <laughs> That's what it is. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, like <laughs> Yosemite Sam looks down, and somehow the bomb is strapped to him. You know, it's exact. It's right out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah, it is, and I don't know if that was supposed to appeal to kids in some way who grew up with those cartoons. I I think a lot of the decisions they made, <laughs> when you look at it. It was like stuff they they made to appeal to kids, but it just kind of came out, it came off wrong. And then then they had like Keaton do that like really like derpy smile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like you know? yeah, and that's not really. I don't want to get into the whole like what is Batman, what isn't Batman, because we've talked about. Wait, well, you know, this is like our what third Batman podcast? Fourth, fourth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is our fourth. Yeah, and. We've talked about how when you have a character that's around that long, the, the characterization just wavers over time, and there's it's it's very hard <laughs> to keep that consistent. But uh, and he uh, he kills your boy uh, from over the top too, play who plays the tattooed strongman, uh, Richard Zoomla- Zoomwalt. Man, that's a uh, that's a yeah. Also, uh, there, I thought it was kind of funny how uh, Vincent Scavelli was in this, and I guess Danny DeVito basically like brought him along for the ride. Similar uh, to now, he'd already been in some bit. He was in Ghost, 
and he was in some other big movies before this, but I got, I don't know. If, so I don't know if you even really call this like his, but I mean, the, one of the, one of the upper echelon, that guy character actors. You know. He, yeah, you see him and you're like, oh, that's the, you know, the, the biology teacher from Fast Times or like, you, you know, you know, you've seen that guy and you've seen him in a bunch of things. And um, he looks like he belongs in Tim Burton movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? He just has that sort of gothy, very pale and pasty, sunken eyes sort of look um, that probably doesn't uh, require as much makeup. But yeah, I remember seeing him and he does that sort of like Jack in the Box, like Gatling gun thing. Yeah, he's the, he's the organ grinder. And then they, yeah. that was another thing with this movie. There were so many animals in it and it, and it was led to all these complications where they were filming. Like they had to keep, they had to keep the sets 35 degrees for the penguins. And then they had snakes and they had the monkey. Then the monkey attacked Danny DeVito in one scene and, because he was scared of him because he was scared of the makeup and he was scared of like all the like prosthetics and everything. But it was like, it just, this movie just sounds like just complete fucking chaos. Like it was a, I think the shoot was like six months or something. Can you imagine like what it was like trying to shoot? You've got all these giant sets that are modeled off or off the Weimar Republic. And dude, it's yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like that six months, I can't even imagine. Um, I mean, that's, that's too long to film a movie. That's, that's nuts. That's nuts. And I was, it's funny. You, you were talking about the animals and, I know that they had some um, little people, I guess that's the word, dwarves, little people, playing emperor penguins uh, in some of the scenes. Yeah. They like lose a little like suits. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the scene where they like Paul bearer his body down into the water. Yeah, um, dude. I mean, come on. Like, that's another thing. Like, that's what we're fucking doing. We're like... And I didn't really under. Maybe you did. Did the penguin just die from falling really far into some water? Like I didn't understand. Uh, or was I, yeah, I I know he was like spitting up like black blood. Yeah, so I don't know if he, was, he had like internal bleeding or something. Yeah, or if it was like he was talking about how the there was a bunch of industrial waste in the water in the sewers. So maybe that was. I, but. I I don't know. Like it it was stuff like that that really kind of made this movie not as enjoyable but like i know we didn't do this movie to like or we didn't we, we don't really do this podcast to really trash these movies because otherwise we would just i would just pick up i would pick a slew of just these sh- terrible shitty action movies that i watched when i was a kid and, and we would have a field day fucking it would be like we would like fire up uh we wouldn't well this is the internet so i can't i can't claim this but it'd be like like we would do movies like samurai cop <laughs> like but not samurai cop uh, yeah yeah, like it the, says, Mike. It says here he died of fatal injuries via the toxic sewage in the underground lake. But he lived there his whole life, didn't he? So he. But just, I guess he didn't. He never went in. He just. He was just. You could just be around a source of fatal contaminants, it. but if you're in it, fuck. You can't go in the water. That was goofy. It's fucking it, 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 like then you put the movie. You have all these like merchandising tie-ins. Like he had the bat ski boat that he busts out for just that one part at the end, so they could like make a toy out of it. Which I had, by oh, the yeah. way. Did you? Yeah, I had that one. 
I had the Batmobile, but I think it was from the 89 movie, but it still plays. You know, I didn't have the one. I'm sure they made the one where it comes apart. Yeah, I think they did because I think we might have had that one too. We had a lot of toys around when I was. Did they have a, correct me if I'm wrong, did they have a legit like Batcave playset or anything like that? They might have, but I don't think we had that. We never went. Yeah. Yeah, like we we never, we, we got a lot of toys when we were kids, but we never got like the big ones. Like, with, like yeah like, same here like, I would always get a few like the action figures my my mom was always good at like <coughs> like whether it be at like places like service merchandise or whatever she would like always like try her best to find like the action figures and it was tough to get some action figures back in the day for popular things and whether it was like ghostbusters and ninja turtles whatever my mom would always like try to deliver um and come through on like whether it's christmas or or uh, birthdays um uh, Santa Claus 2, um, for anyone, or any of our young listeners, which hopefully there are none. <laughs> but um, yeah, this movie was pretty pretty merch heavy. I, I remember the fast food tie-ins as the standout the most to me. And I remember some like commercials. I remember the trailer. I remember that line, like, you don't really think you'll win, do you? Being like a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. I, I, now that you mentioned it, I definitely do. I, I also remember they used that clip a lot where he, like, punches the guy and then, like, spins and throws him. Yeah. Even though, you know, that then you, you look you look into it. And it's like that, you know that bat suit weighed 55 pounds? So you've got Michael Keaton just, like, I was just, I'm just, just trying to think. It's like, man, if I was walking around in a 55-pound suit, like, I don't even think I could walk, like, 100 feet without getting blown up. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's tough to make, I think, I mean, I'm sure they had a better version of it, but and the, we've talked about like the shitty masks that they made, and I always wanted that um, Batman mask. I remember being like 30 bucks at my local Halloween shop. It was like a convenience store, but they had Halloween masks all year round. I mean, that's like, two, was, like that's like two hundred dollars in today's money. It was like 30 bucks in like 1990 or whatever it was, and I would sometimes be allowed to go walk to the store and stuff like that. And I would always go there, and like 30 dollars as a kid you feel like is like you say like a fortune so i was like i was never able to get that my parents were like no 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 we'll make you a batman costume it'll be better because it'll be your own i'm like oh no it won't but yeah uh, well i i don't know sometimes parents do that as in an effort to save money and sometimes it's real. it's like the eddie murphy bit from raw where they like the mom makes the burger and it's like no it's not mcdonald's but, but my mom made me a, uh, I remember I wanted to be Kung Lao from Mortal Kombat 2 one year. And she made me a moral, she made me a Kung Lao costume and it was really good. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my mom did her best, <laughs> but, um, I remember always wanting that, that mask. And then every time I see it now, I'm like, I, I get memories of it. And my sister's, my nephew, my sister's son, Cole has it. And I tried it on. I'm like, this thing's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean that's that's the funny thing about these movies, like any superhero movie, really. Even even now, you know, they put people in these form fitting suits where they have no flexibility and they're he- yeah. like and they're but they're somehow still heavy. Like think of like, like I mentioned it a couple times, and I you know I, at the risk of overly objectifying Michelle Pfeiffer, but you know like they vacuum sealed her into those suits or like yeah. Batman's wearing this suit that, like, how does he even get in it? How does he get out of it? He can't turn right. his he can't turn his neck. <laughs> like, 
it weighs. That was another weird part. Go on though. <coughs> oh yeah, and this yeah, the suit is supposed to be it's supposed to protect him from knives and bullets and stuff, and he could just rip the t- the head off of it. There exactly. Or, and 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 that scene, more than any, is just it. Like I I I mentioned this to someone recently who's like a big Batman fan and I never noticed it, but I remember seeing it and I'm always observant about this stuff. Cause I like things being, having continuity in movies and having the suspension of disbelief. I like getting lost in a movie and when things take me out of it, I always notice that stuff. Sadly, I don't try to bring it up because I want everyone I'm with to enjoy when I'm watching. But when he does that scene where he tears the mask off, he doesn't have the eye makeup on because they do it in one single shot. Right. They could have hit it. They could have hit it. And done a cut, they didn't. So they show him in it, and you see all of his skin around his eye, and it looks fucking weird. And then he tears it off, and then like the rest of the movie, you're like, yeah, well, he has eye makeup on, but according to this version of Batman, he doesn't, and we're just not, you know. (laughs) Yeah, see, you thought about that. I was just thinking about how they have to, in the Batman comics, he has this skin-tight suit that looks like it's painted on, but it's supposedly state-of-the-art body armor. And it's like... You can't tra- that doesn't translate to the screen. Like you can't right. make a bat suit that like is that looks like spandex and it's like it's like there's no way that thing would stop a bullet. And we're dogging on it a bit, but going back to our first ever podcast, like Tim Burton took a risk with that too and he made an all black Batman suit and that was that was kind of weird back then. Yep. Batman was always gray and blue and that sort of stuff. But now it's like the norm, you know? So you, we got to give so much credit to Tim Burton um, for both of these movies, but especially, you know, him start, like creating that aesthetic and working with, you know, costume teams and saying, like, I like that one. I don't like that one. And we got what we got. And it wound up being sort of that the staple that going forward that even um, the current movies of today, like the very serious Nolan ones, it was an all black suit, looked a, a lot in a lot of ways, a lot like the Michael Keaton one. But they made it more realistic in terms of how he put it together and all that stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I don't. I, I I'm sorry if I've been a little more negative than usual. It's just like this movie does have a lot of stuff though that it it takes you out of it, even if it's a fantasy movie. Like it's just there's a yeah. ton of it, and it's basically saved by primarily Michelle Pfeiffer's performance and Michael Keaton, who's he's not phoning it in, but. Uh, you know he's he's always he's stay. I always liked his his portrayal as Bruce Wayne and Batman, so he's stable. And then you got the addition of Max Shrek, and then in the negative column you've got, uh, you know, the Penguin, which is just and the Penguin and the whole Red Triangle gang and that whole yeah, thing. I, I'll give a lot of credit, and this is something Tim Burton is pretty good at: is creating unique, <laughs> unreal. Like unreal world identifiable set design because the set designs in this movie felt very um, exploratory in a way, almost like when you go to a haunted house or you go to a theme park where you got to walk through certain parts like Tower of Terror or something. And you're like, oh, look at that. That looks cool. Oh, I get to go onto this cave and check this out. Like the set design for um, this movie, I think is better than 89. 89 just felt like dirty, grimy city streets. This one, it felt like it had this sort of like, what universe is this? It's like, this is like, this is Gotham City because it doesn't look like New York or anything. Like yeah, that. I kind of like, I think, 
no one was missing that but i i I think a big win for this movie is set design yeah i kind of like the approach too that they took where they tried to make it look distinctly different from the first movie but the explanation was it was like oh it's just like a gotham's a big city this is like a different part of it like Mm -hmm. this is the west side and yeah like the first one primarily took that was kind of the approach they took and there was like there's all this weirdness with the sets like how they the sets were so big that they but they were mobile and modular so they could like move them around and i guess like some of the i I guess michelle pfeiffer got lost a lot (laughs) because they would keep moving the sets around and they would have people watching them because I guess they set they some number cruncher figured out it was cheaper to use the like like to repurpose the old sets from the first movie that it would be to like make new ones or something. I don't know. It was mm. weird. But and I mentioned before that the the the, the architecture was partially inspired by post World War One Germany, which is pretty funny. Like just it's such a random influence to have. And then they they actually have a line in here about the about a Reichstag fire, which is basically like almost it's a false flag attack, basically that 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 took place. Uh, that was basically how the National Socialist Party came to power before World War Two. Was they set fire to the Reichstag? Uh, somebody set fire to the Reichstag, and they blamed it on German communists so they could abolish the German Communist Party. So there's only one party in Germany. Was Batman there? Batman was not there. I, oh, I know. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but if he was, he would have beaten the shit out of some people. Batman would have gotten to the bottom of it. The world's greatest detective would not let him let that shit stand. That's for sure. Yet he can't tell the smoldering, sexy eyes of Michelle Pfeiffer when she doesn't have a little piece of black uh, leather oh, leather over her face. Man, yeah, dude. I, I, so Michelle Pfeiffer was she auditioned to be Vicky Vale in the original and Michael Keaton basically put the kibosh on it because apparently he was trying to reconcile with his wife and he like cheated on her with Michelle Pfeiffer. What? Yeah. So like you're bad. I mean, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to commit adultery, man, go big or go home. Right. (laughs) Wow. So wait a minute. So pre Batman, he hooked up with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Dude, they definitely banged during Batman Returns then. I don't know if they did or not. I mean, but, but the chemistry they have, I mean, it's like it's like that whole thing where actors, it's like actors get paid to pretend, but like when it comes to romantic subplots, like almost every actor and actress who get, they end up dating or getting married at some point. Right. Because it's like, I guess it's, it's you know, to, to have those feelings convincingly... It's probably just easier just to go method, you know. How did? I mean, I'm looking at a photo now of the of the cast, and it's so funny. Like you forget how like young, like even Danny DeVito was back then in in comparison. But and seeing like in their 90s attire, like Danny DeVito, Michael Keaton, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Tim Burton, and it's just like it's so crazy that it's like this time capsule, but. I'm thinking of like just being on set and being around Michelle Pfeiffer and she seems like like not the diva type. She seems like everything you hear about her in interviews and stuff and that she seems like a decent person. Like I bet anytime she's, she was on a set throughout most of her career, people were just like falling in love with her. Yeah, or yeah, maybe you're committing the, the, the classic fallacy where, oh, she's so pretty. She must be nice. 
Uh, you know I know better than that. <laughs> no, I mean, no one's above it. That's all I'm saying. Like, it's like, oh, man, she looks like she's nice. It's like, no, she she probably isn't. But <sighs> uh, one thing that was in- I, I thought was interesting about her performance was how, you know, she did all these she did like yoga and kickboxing and she actually learned how to use that whip there's this great clip where she's in the department store and she takes the heads off the four mannequins and she did that all in one take yeah they yeah i read that she was better than the stunt people and that she did almost if not all of her own stunts well except i don't i don't think she did the silly backflips she definitely didn't do those Hmm. but like the stuff with the whip and like i don't think i don't think they, they let michelle pfeiffer like even play fall off a building but you wouldn't think those silly back clips were silly if she ended by landing on your lap pal mm. no i wouldn't yeah. i definitely wouldn't oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh what can we say what can we say what, what can we say what can we say oh, then i noticed that uh the mayor he was the mayor of that guy right yeah the, the little turd he, I realized he's the dad. He's like that douche dad in uh, X Men: The Last Stand, Angel's dad. I'm yeah, sure. that's right. I was trying to picture what movie he was in where he was holding like a crystal tumbler of some kind of scotch or something. And then, oh, I think he was. Wasn't he in Private Parts too? Oh yeah, yeah, he, well, yeah he might have been of, one of the ad people. Yeah, yeah, he was like he was like uh, Pig Vomit's boss. <laughs> Yeah, I think you might be right. Because they told him how, like, they were telling him, like, why, how long, they were ta- talking about how long Howard Stern was, like, how long his, like, fans and haters were listening, and he spits the scotch back into yes. the... Yeah, Richard Ehrlich. Yeah. Was the char- Roger Ehrlich is the character he played. Yeah. So, and, yeah, his name's Michael Murphy, but, uh, yeah, character actor for sure. Yeah, um, you want to talk about that guy. Another yeah. that guy actor. But, I mean, we talked about... I mean, we talked about bad. We well, didn't really talk about the Batman performance too much, but I, other than to say, it's like, yeah, it was, it was there. It was good. It was competent. You know, I, I, th- I could have used more of it. You know, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, we, we talked about the three villains, kind of like how that, that's because that like I don't know if this was the first was this the first movie to really do that because it seemed like all the Batman movies after that kind of did this. Well, you can say Batman the movie did it because they put every villain in. Oh, that's... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and they, by Batman the movie, I'm talking about the Adam West one from yeah. the 60s. Yeah. It came out... What, was 66 um, that came out? Yeah, around there. Um, but, yeah, there's... It, I, <laughs> I, I think for the sake of... Um, you can't even say... Th- I mean, what was... I guess you could say Superman uh, 2... They had the three people from Krypton, um, but they were all like sort of working in tandem. And then you also had Lex Luthor, so maybe you can say Superman. Uh, okay, did it. Yeah, I... um, which you know th- those movies don't get uh, enough credit. Obviously, the that's another one. The last two were horrendous. Mm. First two were so good. That's a good parallel, actually. Superman the movie, Superman two. Uh, and then three and four were bad. And the same thing with this four uh, pack here with these two, even though, you know, I think we're both on the same page that we're, we're aging out of Batman Returns in a weird way. I don't think the movie, it's not necessarily the movie's fault. Maybe it's just like we've outgrown it or we, 
we're old enough to notice some of the shit that's like dumb. Yeah, I mean, you, you, when you're 10 years old and like they have, you know, a guy in a skeleton outfit riding a motorcycle and like Batman's attacking all of them, it's like it's like that's like that's like little boy overload. Like it's like Yeah, <laughs> then you watch another part of the movie and you're like, "Why is my penis getting bigger?" <laughs> Oh, come on. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I do like the... Uh, I wonder how they came up with the, the hello there sign that turns into hell here after she s- smashes two of the letters. I thought that was pretty clever. And I've seen... Um, I think like people like sell those neon signs now. Yeah, but... yeah I, I didn't mention this or off the rip, but like... Uh, that they did that standard Hollywood thing. It's like, oh my, we have this unbelievably attractive woman. How are we going to make her ugly? Oh, we're just going to put her hair up and put her in big glasses. That, that. Yeah, 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 right. Like, like she's all that. Or the movie where the a girl's supposed to be an ugly nerd and she's just a fucking ten. Are we ever going to do she's all that? No, right. Let's just let's just parlay this right into a she's all that podcast right now Ugh. and just get into. I don't it. even know where to start on that one. I, I think uh, I, I, I would know more about She's All That getting made fun of and not another teen movie than I would actually know about She's All That. How <laughs> well, she except this? the fact Rachel Lee Cook is a 10.5 out of 10. And they're just like, we're going to have her wear overalls. <laughs> and then when she goes through her 30-second makeover, <laughs> she's going to be the hottest girl in school. That's all you need to know about She's All That. How is she going to say no to me, Jake Weiler? Anyway, oh god, yeah. those movies always had dumb names. Freddie Prince Jr.'s name in that movie was Zach Siler. Can you even believe that? I was just gonna let the dead air do the talking for me. I wasn't gonna say anything. <laughs> Imagine, <laughs> and then, and then you know, like there's a, that old famous actor who was uh, closeted, actually, Rock Hudson. Everyone knows Rock Hudson was an like, an old time actor. Matthew Lillard's character, and she's all that, is Brock Hudson. Oh. And then Paul Walker is Dean Sampson. Like, who made up these character names? <laughs> I, 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 went, I went to high school with a Dave Sampson. Oh. Yeah. I bet he's a real dickhead. <sighs> yeah, we didn't, we didn't get along. Dave, you listening? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> All right, Batman Returns, my best favorite part of the movie. I I think you mentioned it. I think my favorite part of the movie, it wasn't really even any of the action or anything. It was the masquerade ball where they're dancing oh. and they figure Ed Plus, you know, the you've got what you know, since this is the horniest episode of just like the movies yet. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at just yep. the movies, Instagram, mm-hmm. just like the movies pod. If if you know people who might be interested in a in a horny podcast about movies, about Batman movies, <laughs> about Batman movies, no, but like just the whole because the movie, I think generally speaking, I mean, I I know I've been kind of like t- taking out my my frustrations on this movie, but I would say the writing wasn't particularly strong, but I really like no. the writing in this scene, like how they they did the callback to the scene where they were fighting, and then they. You know, just the way they were talking about removing their costumes, even though they were the only people there that weren't it in costume. Did, it did kind of feel like um, a separate creation. It, it felt like 
I'm not even trying to be funny here. It felt like even with the music a little bit, it felt like that scene belonged in like Goldeneye or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's kind of like when Bond, it's like when he's romancing whoever the Bond girl is in the movie. Like, couldn't you see that scene, but the guy is just Pierce Brosnan? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And then of course, then the floor blows up and then a giant duck comes up and it's like, oh, okay, well that's all over. Right. Right. And then he's like, this party was a quack. <laughs> Baby. That's Austin Powers. Never mind. I should, um, I should have done gold member. Serve you fuck right. You. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck <laughs> you. Man. I think my favorite part of the movie... Because um, we don't really get like manic Keaton in this movie. No, you, no we don't. So that's, uh, that's another ne- in the negative column for you. It's very upsetting, but the closest we get to it is um, he absolutely torches a fire breather with the afterburner from the Batmobile. I'm going to say that that's probably my favorite part in this movie. And I, Take what you will from that about what that means about what this movie is. Batman burning a guy alive who was breathing fire out of his mouth with an afterburner of the Batmobile after doing a slow 180 degree turn. Yeah, the, uh, like a, a gadget pops up from under the car, like a, a mini hydraulic press pops up so the Batmobile can turn 180 degrees without moving. Man. At least he could change his tires pretty easily then. Oh yeah, like, ever sure. try to Ever try to use a manual jack when your tires all fucked up? Oh yeah. Yeah, I just had to do that a couple months ago. And me too! Yeah. Yeah, it's so annoying. And then Batman's just like, mm. whole car in the air. Oh, that guy's pissing me off. Oh, you're waiting for the air pump? You're on fire <laughs> now. Yeah, that seems like a lot of set. And again, he's killing a thug that he really didn't have to. It's like, he's just, I'm just going to light this guy. I'm already in my car and I'm getting away. Yeah, is it, I'm trying to think of... This can't be the only Batman movie where Batman kills somebody, though, is it? No, I mean, he killed the Joker at the end of the first one. Well, kind of. Yeah, I mean, he. what did he think was going to happen? He could technically say he didn't kill him, though. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to play that semantic game right now. Because he did, like, did Batman anticipate the, 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 the uh, gargoyle breaking off of the church you know i don't know i mean one way or another like that that gargoyle was coming off like if, yeah. if the helicopter didn't have the lift to pull to break free from that or the cable didn't break the helicopter was going to go into a tailspin probably and then pull it down anyway that gargoyle was coming off faster than my pants while watching batman returns <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, I know what Kathleen's being for Halloween next year. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> they actually they asked Michelle Pfeiffer if she ever like busted out the suit for her husband. And she's like, I never want to see that suit again in my entire life. And then you. Oh. So I mentioned the stuff about what she had to do to get into it. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Plus, she probably like didn't eat for like five months when she was filming that movie. <sighs> Yeah, that's yeah, and Danny DeVito probably 
did the opposite. <laughs> well, Danny DeVito, yeah, he had that big padded costume. He didn't care. Yeah. It, yep. Yeah, he had to be in the makeup chair for like two hours, which is not bad when you consider like what a lot of actors have to do for certain makeup for movies. Um, but I I like the look. Uh, I thought the look of Catwoman was really good. I thought it was well done. Um, they made some changes to the Batman costume. They like took away the the ab looking abs and they made it more just like these like segmented looking things. So it didn't look like it was supposed to be formed to his body or whatever, which I think that's fine. Um, I, I didn't like, and maybe I am getting a little complaining about the movie, but I remember seeing that, that scene where he, just that over dramatic scene that I didn't think was necessary where they're like, this is how Batman gathers his suit to put on. And then we're just going to show him walk out with it on. And it's like, he grabs his boots. He moves the, like the Bart Simpson closet where it's all the same outfit. He moves five of them over and grabs the one in the middle and then he grabs the mask and it clearly looks like very rubbery. And I didn't, I thought that was kind of silly, a silly scene. I was like, why did Burton feel the need to? I, yeah. That and that's there? definitely a product of its time because I think if they were going to do another Batman movie where they showed him putting the suit on, which they haven't done in a long time, I don't think they've showed Batman suiting up. I don't think you ever saw the Ben Affleck Batman suiting up. I don't, they didn't have a Robert Pattinson shooting, but. Because that movie was overstuffed as it was, and it was super long. But yeah. I think if they were going to do it properly with today's technology, I think it would be more like <laughs> from the Arkham games, where like Bat, it's more like Batman putting a suit on is more like Iron Man putting a suit on. Like he has all these machines helping him, and there's all these parts that like terror, like they form to it. Like he puts on like this thing, and then it like kind of tur- it like does a little transformer thing and turns into a gauntlet on his arm. That's that's one thing we do need to bring up is that Michael Keaton is playing Batman again. And he filmed a scene or scenes for Batgirl, which Warner Brothers just said we're not never releasing this. They they like the movie was like ninety five percent finished and they pulled it. And then he's gonna be in the new Flash movie with Ezra Miller, who's a disaster in his own right. But um everyone's saying that movie's like testing really well. And they have his like old Batmobile in it, and he's playing like an older Bruce Wayne. I'm interested to see that. And I always said I think it would have been cool if they did one more Burton Keaton movie. Maybe dial it back a bit and do it more like the '89, but do it with an older Batman. Um, finish a trilogy, finish it right, because there it just feels like it was like this weird unfinished business. Because I don't know that Keaton knew he was going to be done playing Batman. And he said the only reason why he didn't do the third is because he didn't like the script. He always like jokes about that he's Batman and stuff like that. He did that uh, commencement speech at some university where he said, "I'm going to leave you with two words and two world two words only. And if you take away anything from my speech today, just remember, I'm Batman." <laughs> and he throw up like a peace sign. He's like, "I'm out," uh, you know. So he still embraces that, and I I, I like that aspect. Cause I think sometimes actors get away from which a role like this and they don't like being typecast i mean it's really interesting you bring that up because like from everything like from some of the stuff i was i was looking at it seemed like that he didn't really even want to do this movie like it was like i mentioned about how ambivalent he seems to be about playing batman maybe he just didn't like how things ended up because with this one i think they felt like tim burton i think tim burton felt as if they had made a lot of concessions to the studio 
Because I know on this one that he basically got John uh, John Peters, who was the exe- like he was like the head producer on the last on the on the first Batman movie. He basically got him demoted because he hated dealing with that guy so much, and that's like what the studio did to kind of keep him happy. But at the same time, you know, I mentioned all the all the different iterations this movie went through and what it could have been, and I think even though I didn't really enjoy this movie as much as other ones that we've talked about like I think it could have been so much worse but I think if you look at this one supposedly Burton had more creative freedom with this one but not as much like he said that he estimated I think he said that he estimated that like 50% of his ideas got in the movie so I don't know if the, the studio interference actually helped or hurt this movie because i i think if you look at some of the decisions tim burton made in this movie that went more in that direction that the movie would have been even more fucking off the rails than it was (laughs) that's fair that's a good point i didn't really think about because i'm looking at some of the set photos now as you're talking and it's like tim burton talking to both of them uh catwoman and batman in their full costumes and he looks He's Tim Burton's wearing a black beret and this really like poofy, like artsy looking shirt. And like, he's just so like from an artistic or an aesthetic perspective, just so out there that maybe he like does need to get reeled in sometimes if he's doing something that's not a Tim Burton creation, which Batman is not like Beetlejuice, like go ham, dude. Like it doesn't exist. So you can do anything. But with Batman, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe there's that sort of like, we don't want to Tim Burton this too much. Well, I mean, there was even a quote where he said, he and Daniel Waters said that they weren't really concerned with what comic book readers would want. And I don't... Well, yeah. yeah. First one's a good testament to that. Yeah. I mean, Joker and, be the killer of the parents. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where... I don't know, maybe if a little more reverence was paid to the source material, would would it have been better received? And it's, I mean, it was still like the sixth highest grossing film of 1992, I think. But it like, I it's still, I, I between the mixed reception from critics and, I mean, they, they probably thought this movie was going to be number one with a bullet. They probably thought this movie was going to make like $400 million, just like the first Batman did. Mm-hmm. And it was more expensive to make. So I think... In a strange way, it was kind of like what we're seeing with a lot of the like Phase Four Marvel stuff now is that these movies are so big that they have to do to be considered a success. I mean, they have to almost—it's going to be like the new Avatar movie. Like the new Avatar movie has to make so much money to break even, right? Yeah, and I—I I think I read somewhere though that 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 production cost isn't just for the one movie it was like for two or three of them but still it's like averages out to be like five six hundred million dollars a film which is just crazy but like with this with this one i think i think that happened i think i think they thought they really swung for the fences they had a bigger budget and i i think in a lot of ways it underwhelmed and then that's why they went with the director change and the kind of change in vision, but then we ended up with Batman Forever. So oh, God, it's just, yeah. It was just. <clears throat> I think like there's some movie series um, where maybe there's some bumps in the road along the way, and you feel like you gotta watch those to if you want to do a rewatch. I think with this one, you can firmly stop 
with Batman Returns and just call it a day. You don't need to like, there's no reason whatsoever to watch the next two. And you could say the same thing about if you wanted to watching just Batman 89, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's however you want to look at it. I I do. I do enjoy this movie though. Like sequels are tough to do. Making a good superhero sequel is very tough to do. Um, And I think I don't want to like throw like shade or whatever, as the kids call it at Marvel. Um, and say it's like formulaic it kind of is and they have all the source material they're pulling from and it's still very impressive in terms of the continuity that kevin feige's creating with those movies but like tim burton wouldn't be able to do that sort of thing because he did like take risks with his batman and stuff like that and again a lot of the stuff we look back on now with 89 batman like i said with the suit and their approach to things and in this movie doing like these really supernatural elements and this fantastical elements surrounding these villains that were up until this point just a criminal crime gangster and a a cat burglar so and but we look back on it now and it just feels normal because it it's it's existed for so long and i think that deserves its own respect and credit but i guess my point that i'm trying to say is this might not be the best but for the risks he took and stuff like that, it's a pretty good superhero sequel for an IP, IP superhero IPs that a lot of times sequels aren't that great. Yeah, well, I mean, especially when you compare it to the movies that followed it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think out of all the movies we've done, though, that this one has probably the most problems. Like <clears throat> just in like just looking like it just doesn't hold up as well. As even some of the some of the comedies we watched that weren't, you know that you know the, the jokes didn't hit like they used to, but it was still enjoyable to watch it. It still took you to that place, and this movie still took you to that place. But there was a lot of moments where it's just like, oh man, like I think we yeah we both felt that way about Wayne's World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think another movie we may have talked about it. And it has nothing to do with Batman, but a movie I can't even watch anymore that I loved when I was like fourteen, Billy Madison. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that movie is fucking terrible. Yeah, the Adam Sandler, the the shtick is just so heavy in that. Way and, heavy. And we talked about that the Happy Gilmore one, I think, where you know he kind of reined it in a little bit. True. And then, true. but then yeah. that kind of gave way to the whole. <laughs> Adam Sandler being like he always has to be the biggest pimp and the toughest guy and that's like how his movies (laughs) went for like the next 12 years after that yeah and then then he lost his abs and he's like better go try to bait for those awards now yeah oh yeah he did that one movie that was about nine like he lost his wife in 9-11 or something it was like rain over me I think oh man yep punch drunk love and um then recently uncut gems and he, he's i mean i give him credit like no i don't think anyone ever would i mean you could say this about a lot of actors you could say this about jamie fox when we were watching him on in living color or uh adam sandler being the goofy doofus on snl like these guys would be you know jamie fox winning an oscar adam sandler being nominated for golden globes like i don't think anyone would ever think that so i gotta give him credit for what he did with with his career and then you know michael keaton man Back to the guy, he went through a lull too. And someone as talented and as charismatic, and uh, he seems like a really down earth guy. And I know our our buddy Scooby had met him 
one time and they were talking about like college football or basketball or something. Um, and he said he was a nice guy and everything you hear about him, he, he, you know, always talks about his son he loves his son and he seems like a regular guy who doesn't take acting as this sort of we're up here and you're all down here sort of thing. And I, I, I get that uh, vibe from him in interviews, so I hope it's true. But he went through like a dark period in his career too, where he was either making stinkers or direct to video, whatever. And he's back at age 70. So you got to give him credit. And I would, I know you don't like when they revisit things for like fan service or nostalgia. I'm not trying to speak for you, but I think that's how you feel. Cause when I said lethal weapon five, you were like, Oh shit. I, but no, man. I mean, I think there's just a time and a place for things. And I think I agree. I agree. But I, I'm still going to be excited to see what he looks like as Batman today. Yeah, maybe if they do like the whole, if they go the whole, if they do kind of what they were supposed to do with the Ben Affleck Batman, where he's kind of like the Batman from the Dark Knight Returns, where he's older and he's more reliant on technology, but he has like a lot more knowledge than he even did when he was younger. Like that, I mean, that's really the only way they can go with it. Yeah. If they're, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's like, it's almost like it sounds like he's gonna be the um, what's the what's Samuel Jackson's uh, Nick Fury? He's like the Nick Fury of DC or something like that. Like he's like the older sort of like I'm trying to like help people out, help younger superheroes. Well, that I sort thought of thing. I thought it was gonna be more like DC is gonna do a multiverse thing because that's, I think that's I think that's it too because I think Affleck is coming back too. I th- I, th- I think they need yeah, dude. Affleck needs like a proper. I, I know I know people didn't like him as Batman and like and but I thought I I thought he wasn't that bad and I thought he needed a little more runway. That's a, you know that's how I feel about Henry Cavill and it sounds like he's finally going to get his his chance. Yeah, as Superman. Yeah, so. for sure. Sure. Um, I uh, uh, before we uh, move on to our pick for next time, is there anything from Batman Returns that we would be pissed at ourselves if we didn't? touch on i don't know i was just about to say speaking of running out of runway i think we're i think (laughs) i i didn't think this was going to be a particularly long episode because but i i think we touched on a lot of stuff about how it was made and what we liked about it what we didn't like um you know there's obviously a lot more to it but you know for me i i just think this this movie compared to some of the other ones we did like i don't think this is like a bona fide classic you know, like I don't, I don't either. A lot no. of the movies we've done, not all of them, but a lot of the movies we've done have been like big movies, and they're, you know, they're important in a in a in a cultural sense, and in in a lot of ways, an artistic sense, and in terms of commercial success. But I don't know. For this one, it it was just like it was like. I think this was just kind of one of those things where it's it's just it's a little more interesting to see. Like we always talk about the controlled chaos of the creative process when it comes to Hollywood films, and I think in this one it was like you can see what happens when it doesn't all work out when you don't have luck and serendipity on your side. Like sometimes, yeah. sometimes things just don't work and they don't hold up over time, and <clears throat> you have elements of that. I, I mean, is this generally an enjoyable movie? Yeah, but I mean you could already see the kind of foundations starting to like when you talk about the the decline of the Batman franchise, which also which re- led to the reboot, which I think that was the first time I ever remember hearing the term reboot, which is super common now was, was the Batman reboot. I could be wrong because I was wrong about the super villain stacking thing, but um, 
in this case, I mean, you could you can already kind of see like the fault lines, like the proverbial foundation of the franchise where it was start the stress fractures, where it was starting, and, yeah. then, and then like Schubacher just like rammed it home, you know. It it I I I agree with that. It does feel like they realize what worked with the first movie from like marketing perspective and stuff and tried to replicate it for this one. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was that McDonald's stuff, you know, the fry boxes had the Batman logo. They had those big giant plastic 30 ounce cups with the characters on them and the toys and stuff. But beyond that, like we spent so much time on our Batman pod 89 about the action figures and the video game and, all this other stuff that's the serial like this movie had like they had the trading cards for this one but i don't think like they were by tops or anything i think they just tried to bank on the success of the first one so they undercut the budget for marketing at least it feels that way i'm not a marketing wizard but it just feels that way and i think you're right i think by that by that to to i guess sort of sprinkle sugar on your point that you made is that it sort of feels like a cheap cheaper version of of 89 and with some odd choices along the way but again still fun and like it's one that i'll i'll i will watch again at some point whereas i can't say that about forever or batman and robin so yeah and I, i'm a i'm a you know I, I love michael keaton so i'll always like root for his movies even if they're not the best um so that's part of it too for me yeah it, it, it was an interesting decision to make it set during christmas and they did that to kind yeah. of and even though they were releasing it in the summer it was another like it was another decision that they kind of made to make it intentionally out of place or weird so it would like stick out and i do remember i don't remember a lot of the like video game stuff but i do remember they had they had a batman returns game for atari lynx which was Atari's handheld oh. system. And I remember, for some reason, I always really liked this game, but I couldn't get very far in it. Like, the first boss was you had to fight that duck, and you had to, like, hit it in the head. And it was like, I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, but the du- but, which I, I didn't mention that, like, one of the things that what they did stay true to in the comic books was how, how the Batman Penguin fight ended. Because it's always such a mismatch in the comics, and that's how it, like, I, I, that was funny how... He just was swinging at him wildly, and then he just took his umbrella away from him and just hit him with it. Yeah. And then it was like, True. they kind of did that thing where Batman in the movies, now, I don't know if he does this really in the comics, but where he does the things where <clears throat> it's it's almost like it's, it's, like, a, it's like a poetic kind of thing. It's like a callback to where they tried to frame him and that he releases the bats against the penguin and then that's what like makes him fall into the sewer again oh i like that yeah, yeah. that's fair but that's uh cool. yeah i don't know as far as the movie goes i mean i i like what you said about it it's they took some risks i think a lot of them didn't work i think some of them did and i think this is really you know the the, the headline is michelle pfeiffer boner rating 10 hot inches fall for you <laughs> <laughs> all right we all we almost made it through one everybody we all we, oh I mean, you, you set that up on a ah, tee, a high I, tee. I have no one to blame but myself i have yes, no one to blame right. myself so right. do, did you have any other closing comments i know it was a relatively brief episode 
for us. Um, uh, no, no. I think I think we put a good bow on it there. So um, I I don't know. Do you have something queued up as a pick? Well, I didn't know if you wanted to do another uh, podcast this year. I don't know. I didn't know if you needed the the Christmas week because I know you have a lot of family obligations, and um, I I, I should have brought that up in our little pregame huddle. I, I forgot I think to. If you're up for it, I think we can get one out for the twentieth. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. We'll, I think that's something we can do. We'll do and, it. And like, we'll find the time to do it as long as. Uh, I mean, my my football team never plays prime time, nor nor should they. But uh, a t- who ties in football is embarrassing. But uh, your Chiefs, though, the, the the more Patrick Mahomes keeps lighting up uh, record books. Well, the ba- uh, the Bengals have their number. They lost last week. Yeah, saw that. Saw that. We'll see. But I did. Um, I did get to watch the. Uh, I, I watched a little World Cup. I got to watch uh, the U.S. get fucking frog stomped by Clockwork Orange. Brutal. I, I saw. Yeah, I saw. I saw part of that too. I'm not the biggest soccer fan. I, that's the only time I really pay attention to it. I'm not gonna. You know, it was cool to see him beat Iran and like get out of the group stage. Like that's. It's always cool yep. just to see your like. It's kind of like the Olympics. Like most most of the time when you watch the Olympics, you don't know who you're rooting for. You're rooting for laundry, but you, in this case, the laundry is America. So, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, I, I have one, uh, but if you, it, technically I did pick Batman return, so it's, it's your pick if you want to take it. You did, you did. So uh, we need to keep, um, I guess, I guess I, I do have a pick and I, we've been doing a lot. We've done two superhero movies in a row and we've been doing huge movies. I want to do a superhero movie, but I want to, I want to kind of go small again. I kind of want to like go a little more obscure so we're gonna find out what makes a man is it the power? oh no is it the power in his hands <laughs> or maybe it's his quest for glory <laughs> give it all you got maybe it's to. the way he fights every day <laughs> oh yeah so we're so gonna do we- orgasmo everybody it's a uh <laughs> oh, we're, no. we're gonna do another trey parker movie do you want to talk about horny we 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 already top. I think this has probably been our horniest podcast yet, and we're we're. I think we're definitely going to top it when we do orgasmo. So, oh, we're going to top it. <laughs> orgasmo walked so Book of Mormon could run. Indeed. This is going to be such a fucking shit show. Yeah, we. I uh, might. I might have to have like some like a four loco or something when I'm doing this one. I'm going to be obliterated. Yeah, dude, how, how meta would that, like, if we did it, like how Trey Parker and those guys used to do the commentary tracks for shit, they would just get obliterated, then they would just talk about going to a strip club, and then they would just leave in the middle of it. Yeah, let's just do, yeah, we'll do Orgasmo, and we won't even probably even talk about Orgasmo, and we'll just be absolutely hammered and uh, do our best Trey Parker impressions or something. But, wow, that's going to be a, that is going to be a wild one. <laughs> All right. So, uh, anything else for uh, for our folks out there? Now, we're going to check in with them before the holidays so we can stave that the well wishes off until then. But anything else for them? No, man. Take us home. All right. Uh, Mike told you where to follow us on social media. Make sure you're also subscribed to the show on your preferred podcast platform. And if it has a rating system, please rate us. It takes only a few seconds. And none of what I just said costs you any money.
so you can keep spending money for uh, slippers for grandma or something for your significant other or something for yourself. Treat yourself. You know what? Life's a bitch sometimes. You got to take care of number one sometimes. You know what I mean? Indeed. But Orgasmo is up next. For those of you who know it, uh, it's the guys from South Park. Uh, wait, I think it came out when South Park came out, like 97? Yeah, I think it came out in 97 or 98. Just wild stuff. I mean, a this, lot of... this movie was on the shelf for a couple years before it got released, so... Yeah, so it, it it'll be interesting to to revisit to revisit this one because it's it's definitely funny and if, if you have that sense of humor then uh, you'll like it when we talk about it. Uh, but I hope everyone's doing well out there. So uh, for me and Mike, until next time, on just like the movies, be kind, rewind, relax. See you around. Yawn. <laughs>